So this, this man just started dancing wildly in front of this group of people all by himself. It's a true story. This guy was at a concert in the middle of the summer, and he just stood up and started dancing wildly during this concert while everybody else was kind of looking at him like, what are you doing? So I was on a, a, a cohort, like a Zoom cohort this week with a group of other pastors, and we were talking about um, how to reach our cities with the gospel and how to encourage one another and how do we stay faithful. And then uh, one, of my, one of my pastor friends said, I saw this YouTube video this past week, and it was this guy dancing in front of this whole group of people at a concert uncontrollably, and people are wondering, what is this guy doing? And so I went and looked up this video, and sure enough, there's this guy dancing wildly in front of this big group of people at a concert, and everybody was wondering, what is this guy doing? So just get that image in your head. I think I've said it three or four times now. But this, it's just this strange scene. Uh, clearly, this man was having a moment during this concert that was all kind of in and of himself. Uh, I'm going to come back to the conclusion of that story at the end of the sermon. But I want to start with that image of this lone person, pretty much not caring what anybody else thinks of him, dancing away uh, to the music of this concert all by himself while other people are looking on. We're in Acts, Acts chapter 4. Javier read the passage this morning, which is the follow-up to the story from last week which, if you remember, is in Acts 3, the story of this, this beggar who was sitting at the temple gate who had been uh, lame since birth. And we learned today that been, he's over 40 years old. So this guy had, been, he had had no ability to walk for over 40 years, his whole life. And last week, we read the story of what happened to this man when Peter and John show up and they say, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the man stands up and walk, just at the name of Jesus. So remember last week, everything we're building on this week is on the foundation of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's what the church is all about. The church exists only in the name of Jesus. Um, what is our only hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. That's what we sang to begin this morning. And so today, as we hear the follow-up to that story, we begin to see Peter and John, these same guys, who are in trouble now because the leaders of the temple and of the Pharisees and Sadducees begin to question them about what is going on. So as we jump back into Acts, we remember this quote, God is on the move, because that is what's happening in the book of Acts. Chapter by chapter, we see God's Spirit going in front of his church, paving the way for the church to be moving forward, following Jesus, who is on the move by his Holy Spirit, uh, opening up his church. And so a couple of weeks I've read the the quote from uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I want to read just a snippet of it again today. So remember it says, Aslan is on the move. And then it says, everybody felt something quite different stir up in their hearts, right? And then let me read this little part again. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. But Peter 
felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. And as we look at another Peter, the Apostle Peter, and John, his friend, we see that in the name of Jesus, they get brave and adventurous today as well. So today's sermon is the church bold with the gospel. The word that sticks out in today's passage in Acts 4 is the word bold. Bold. And so again, as you think about this man dancing at the concert, he's pretty bold. And as you think about Peter and John today, uh, they were bold with the gospel. And so are we. So the church is supposed to be. The church is empowered to be bold people. And so uh, I can think of probably a hundred things right off the top of my head that make me want to not be bold in the world. Uh, and there's, I'd like to challenge you just to even think right now, what, what hinders you from being bold? Just silly things. For me, heights. Don't want to go up on, I don't want to up on, I don't want to go up on top of a tall building. Don't want to climb a tall ladder. Just, we had people painting the outside of our house this week. And I said, no, I just, I don't want to climb that ladder and help them out. Don't want to do it. Heights. Or something I just don't want to be bold for. Um, But think of things that maybe you would want to be bold for. What are things that that maybe are things you'd be like, yeah, I can be bold for that. Uh, Again, serious or silly things. I'll just give you a couple of examples to start out. Um, When you think of boldness, to, to be bold means you have confidence in something. It means that you can look at something and be like, I have such confidence in this that I don't mind sharing it with somebody else because I have faith in it. I have confidence in it. That's really what the word bold means in this passage is confident or uh, just have this assurance that this is, this is genuine. This is true. And so uh, my wife and I have been looking for a dentist in Salem because we moved to a new place and we need a new dentist. So don't judge our teeth now. Uh, we haven't been to the dentist yet for a couple of months. But it's funny, when you talk to people about the dentist, some people are really confident in their dentist, and some people are not confident. They say, I go to a dentist, but don't go to this person, because I'm not confident in that one. So they're bold enough to say to go to it or not to go to it. Or think about, maybe you have like a, a, make, a make and model of a car that you're just very confident in. You're like, I'm only going to buy this, this style of car, or this make of a car, because I've always driven that style of car. Or maybe you have a dinner recipe that you'd love to share with as many people because you've made it over decades and decades and you know if you pass it off to somebody, like, this is a tried and true recipe. I'm confident in it. I'm bold with it. Or something else, maybe. But what you do with things you're confident in is you share it with others. I have an abundance of confidence. I have an overflow of an experience that you've had with something, whether it's a dentist or a recipe or a car or whatever. And it's the same with the gospel, but the gospel makes us terrified in some sense too, right? I mean, you've probably heard preachers tell you, like, you need to share the good news. You need to go out from this place and share the gospel. And you're like, you're all filled up and you're ready to go. And then the moment presents itself and and it's like, yeah, I believe this. And I'm not, maybe you don't believe this, but I, I believe this, but... I, I, you don't have to believe this, but I think it's really important. And you, you, know, you, you, kind of, you begin to stutter and stumble over your words, and your boldness maybe begins to wane. And I, I just want to encourage us this morning from this passage that 
Um, boldness, I think, comes from a different source than usually what we think about when it comes to the gospel. When we're talking about gospel boldness, sharing the hope of the gospel that is within us, it comes from a different wellspring of strength and energy and joy that maybe we, we just miss and forget. And I think John and Peter can teach us a lot about boldness this morning. And boldness in the book of Acts is a big theme. I mean, be looking from this point forward. I pretty much say this every week. You know, last week I said this about the name of Jesus. This week I'm going to say it about boldness. But start looking for these themes in the book of Acts as we go week in and week out. Because the last sentence of the book of Acts, Acts 28.31, finishes like this. I'll just, let me read it. I had a summary, but let me just read it word for word. Acts 28, verse 31. It has a kind of an anticlimactic ending in some ways. It kind of leaves you hanging, but this is what it says. The very last page, the very last verse of Acts. It says, Paul, who was living in Rome for two whole years under, under house arrest, and it says he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the book of Acts finishes with Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God with boldness and without hindrance. He was untethered. He was, he was and this is the irony, he's in prison, he's in house arrest, he can't leave, but he's free with the gospel. He's free to be bold. And it's just a beautiful ending to the book. And everywhere in between, from Acts 4 to Acts 28, you see boldness emerging in the church. So the goal today for us is not to leave with a giant burden on our back of, oh darn it, now not only do I have to read my Bible every day and, and you know, be close with Jesus, but now I have to tell others about it? That just sounds so overwhelming. Our goal today is not to, to place an, un, an unnatural burden on your back. The hope today is that we would leave like Paul, feeling unhindered and bold because of boldness that comes from a different place. So uh, the key is to find boldness that, that, the, that, the, that the early church unlocked. They seem to find it in a way that we struggled with. So here's, here's three ways we're going to do this this morning. Number one is we're going to look at the origin of gospel boldness, where it comes from, which I think is the key. The second one is the test of gospel boldness. And then the third is what is the, the ultimate end of gospel boldness? What does it lead to? And what do we do? maybe after you've been bold uh, with the gospel. So uh, here's the first point, the origin of gospel boldness. I'm going to look at these first 13 verses, basically the passage that Javier read this morning to help us understand the origin of where boldness comes from. Boldness does not come from you. And that should be an instant burden relief for you. Boldness does not originate from you. It does not originate from your own courage, from your own willpower, your own desire, your own burden for people. As great as those things are, it does not originate there. That's not where it starts. If it does start there, boldness turns into a performance of a, look what I can do for you, Jesus, because of how much I've manufactured in and of my own willpower. Rather, boldness emerges, as verse 13 says, from the recognition that you have been with Jesus. It, re- it comes from this recognition that you have been with Jesus. That's what verse 13 says. 
It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They saw their boldness, and they recognized that these people had been with Jesus. That's where, that's where gospel boldness originates from. And so I want to build up to that point with these verses that start out. So look at the first four verses of this chapter, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I want you to see the, the context of opposition that these guys are in here. So again, they heal this, this, this lame beggar. And now it says, um, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Almost like, like these animals kind of coming out of the side to attack them. It's like, what are you doing? These guys come upon them, and all of a sudden they're being opposed. And it says these guys were in verse 2, greatly annoyed. They were greatly annoyed with what Peter and John did. So uh, the, the disciples are beginning to experience what Jesus had, had himself experienced. This sounds kind of familiar, right? That the, the Sadducees and the priests and the leaders of the temple were coming after the church. And it's just a, just a helpful thing here. If you begin to experience things that Jesus experienced, it means you're probably on the right track. It means you're probably on the right path of obedience because you're following after him. You know, the scriptures say we need to imitate Jesus. And so if the people that were persecuting Jesus begin to persecute you, uh, you're probably on the right track. And so what I want to show here about the the context of opposition is uh, that actually paves the way for boldness to emerge. Think about if, if these guys didn't have any opposition. If these, think about if the chief priests and the, uh, the leaders of the temple, if they weren't opposing this, there'd be no reason for the disciples to be bold. They could just do whatever they wanted and do it in a safe environment. Boldness necessitates pushback or opposition or uncertainty. And so, listen, you and I, we live in a region of the country where uh, this is commonplace. If you, if you share your hope, your hope, your, your story, your faith in Jesus, you probably should expect some pushback. And so therefore, boldness is necessary, is needed. Uh, and that's, that's where we're going with this this morning. Our culture may be harsh. Our critics may be loud. Our personality may be quiet. Our lives may be comfortable. But this actually provides the only context necessary for boldness to occur. It doesn't, none of those things matter ultimately, other than the context for boldness to emerge happens when there's opposing voices. And so verse 4, it says that 5,000 people came to believe in Jesus. I love the way Javier read this. 5,000. I mean, you can almost, as you're reading, you're like, wait, is that, is that a mistype? Is it 50 or is it 5,000? No, it's 5,000 people. So if you've been keeping up with the math over the last few weeks, you know, it started out with 12, and then it went to 120, and then it said 3,000 people were added to their number, and then it says today 5,000. These, these numbers are beginning to multiply. And if you're, if you're a math person, exponents, these are getting exponentially bigger. There could be as many as 10,000 followers of Jesus now, just a couple of days in after Pentecost. And all that is in the context of, a, of an environment where uh, opposition is occurring. But the second thing to notice here within this, this first part is, uh, it says, when they're asked, by what power do you do this? By what power did you heal this man? 
Again, last week I said, remember they deflected right away. They said, it's not us, it's Jesus. This week they said, listen, if you think it's us that's doing this, you're, you're up a creek. It says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, and he began to explain. And so the empowering of the Holy Spirit here uh, is building up this confidence for the person of Peter, which again, the Holy Spirit is the primary actor and character in the book of Acts. He is the one who is now going before and paving the way for the church. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the Holy Spirit is filling up his disciples here. Um, This is the whole theme of the whole book, and we're going to be talking about this throughout the summer and into the fall. But verses 9 to 12 is where the real crux or the cornerstone of this passage uh, begins to hinge. And that's the actual metaphor that he used, is the cornerstone. So a cornerstone is a great image, right? If you, I mean, walk in this building, uh, you, you know that if, there's gonna, if you're going to make a, a turn from one corner to the next, you need a stone that is, is, it can be firm and secure in that corner. One that all the other stones can land on. All the ones that are, all the other foundation, all the other stones sit on that one foundation. And Peter and John say, the one cornerstone of life is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. He is the one. You can only have one cornerstone. And he is the one for whom all of us have been waiting for. And it says, and you rejected him, is what he says. He says, you guys rejected him and you put him to death. And that's why all these uh, problems are occurring, is because you put to death Jesus. And then verse 12. Verse 12, on the front of your bulletin, and it's a verse that we have to come to, and it's, ones that, it's, it's one verse that you stake your life on, and that as a church, um, We have to be bold to to declare this verse, this one verse. If Peter and John can declare it with boldness, you and I can declare it ourselves. Uh, And when when someone asks us, you know, tell me what you believe, verse 12 is a great one, and you're going to get weird looks, and you may get spit at, and you may get opposition, because people will say that's intolerant. I can't believe you would say there's only one way. But verse 12 says, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, world, whoever is watching this video, whoever is listening to this podcast years from now, whoever discovers this buried in a, in a backyard somewhere and you're using better technology, this is the truth of the ages. There is salvation found in no one else than Jesus Christ. He is the one hope of the world. And it takes boldness to say that. And in some parts of the world, you could, be, you could be killed for saying that. But Jesus Christ laid down his life for the sake of the world so that the whole world might be saved by faith in his name. And that is the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone confession of the church. And yes, that means that other religions as good intended and as good in the world as they can be, if they're not putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they ultimately are falling short of a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with God. Because Jesus is the one way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And boldness comes from that confession. Boldness comes from that origin. It says here, so again, 
Again, imagine going and talking to a friend today who doesn't believe in Jesus and saying that. You expect some pushback because it's different than the cultural narrative. And it's different than the cultural narrative in the first century. Verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, insinuating that uh, what they just said was a very bold thing, which it is. It's a very bold thing that they just said. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they saw that they were just common people, uneducated, but they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. So where does boldness come from? Boldness does not come from, you know, putting away all your fears or just mustering up all this courage and energy. Boldness comes from daily time spent with the one true Redeemer and Savior of the world, Jesus. And so church, uh, our church, our church can be nothing. Our, Our Christian life can be nothing if we're not spending quality time with the risen Jesus. Because that is what fuels the church with boldness and with hope and with purpose. And so last week we talked about times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. It's those times of refreshing that fill you with the confidence and boldness to go share and say, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but Jesus is the way. He is the way. And so boldness is birthed from that experience with Jesus. And then now let's move into the second big point, which is the test of gospel boldness. So let's say, okay, let's say this is us. We've spent time with Jesus. We're like Peter and John. We, we share the hope within us with boldness. Um, like we've said, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. Uh, people are going to come back with questions. Um, and I, I pray that you find yourself in those situations because they're really exhilarating times where it's, okay, I, I, I know I believe this, but now, okay, ask me your questions back. Let's have a real dialogue about this. And don't be surprised. People want to talk about this stuff. And they want to hear the hope that you have. And they want to hear the reasons you have for going to church on a Sunday morning or for believing in Jesus. But the test of boldness, the test of being that bold with what you believe Ultimately, it'll come back to the integrity of your life. You can, you can be bold and say whatever you want. You can say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the only way. But if your life is a life of no integrity, or if you're a terrible person, or if you just do things that are not reflective of the person of Jesus every other waking moment when people are watching you, then your, your boldness just gets thrown out the door. Your integrity uh, is what the test of boldness ultimately comes around to. And so I'm just going to give you just from this text, just a couple of tests that Peter and John go through in this dialogue with these leaders. So first, verses 14 to 16, um, it's interesting. It says, uh, it says in verse 14, they had nothing to say in opposition. Uh, and they, they told them they can leave the council. And so they were talking more with each other in verse 15. And then verse, six, verse 16, it says, what shall we do with them? Uh, it says that this notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident through all the, the, the uh, uh, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. It's like this guy was lame, he couldn't walk, and now, ta-da, he is walking. And it's not by a magic trick, but it's, these guys said it's by the name of Jesus, and it, it worked. They're like, we can't deny that. And so the first test for you and I 
and for boldness, the test of our boldness is the test of acceptance. So uh, you and I can share the hope of Jesus, but ultimately it's really not up to us whether the other person or the people we're communicating that to accept it. Uh, It's up to them. Uh, They can look at the evidence, they can look at their life experience, and they decide what to do with it. And so the freedom that comes from this, friends, is that the results are not up to you. Peter and John, I mean, they're apostles. They spent three literal years with Jesus. They literally healed a man in the name of Jesus. And then these leaders, they say, yeah, we see it all. It all makes sense. But how are we going to get around it? They don't accept it. And so the test of boldness ultimately does come down to first acceptance. Um, Are you willing to be bold even when it's not accepted? That's how we can put it for us. Uh, And you have to be willing to live with that because the results are not up to you. So that's to be a freeing thing. It takes the burden off, but it also uh, can just be something you have to recognize. Number two, the second test, verses 17 to 20, it says, but in order that it may spread no further among the people. So now they begin to devise their plan. Okay, how do we stop this even though it seems to be a credible thing? The second test is the test of compliance. The test of compliance. And so the leaders come to Peter and John and they say, listen, uh, we saw what you did, um, but don't do it again. Don't speak about that name ever again. You're not allowed. You can't do it. Don't do it. They're asked to be compliant to these leaders. And I just love how they respond to it. So it says, They called them together and charged them not to speak. Verse 19, Peter and John answered them. They said, Listen, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They said, Listen, you can tell us to do this, but we saw Jesus. We heard what he taught. We know he is who he says he is. And just because you're telling us not to doesn't mean we have to listen to that. We're going to listen to God because our boldness is coming from him. Our confidence is in him that if he wants us to be bold and to share that, that he will will care for us. He will deliver us. And again, you begin to see this. We'll see it in a couple weeks with Stephen, the first martyr in the church. Uh, He says, listen, uh, my, my life is in God's hands. And Paul begins to display that as well. The test of compliance. Um, People may tell you, listen, don't talk about Jesus in your workplace. Um, And again, there's there's a place for respectfulness. I'm not telling you to go get yourself thrown into jail. But I do think there's a place here of just like, listen, like, this is what I believe. And I think it's the hope of the world. And I I think this is great news and good news for the whole world. And I want people to know that. And so I'm going to live my life in that boldness. The third test is the test of competition. Competition, Verses 21 and 22. When they had further threatened them, they let them go because they couldn't find another way to punish them because the people were praising God for what had happened. <laughs> so the, the leaders, they, they're kind of like, oh, darn it. They, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they, they weren't compliant to what we were saying, and now we don't really know what to do with them. And the people seem to love them. They're praising God because of what just happened. Um, and so the test here is a test of competition. So for you and I, when we're bold, um, and let's say uh, the, the results are better than what we maybe even could have imagined. 
Um, let's say people are praising God because of what we've done, because of the, because of the boldness that we've had. Uh, the opportunity arises and the sin creeps up in each of us of, I could use this opportunity to shove my success back in my opposer's face. Of My boldness can now be used as a, hey, look, see, all the people are praising God. So look, I win, you lose. And, and that's, not, that's not the point here. That's not the point here. The test of competition means that um, being bold is not about winning a cultural battle, which the church is kind of wrapped up in this cultural battle today. And a lot of Christians are getting swooped into this thing of we have to win the culture. And it's never been about that. The gospel has never been about winning the culture. The gospel has always been about winning people to Jesus so that they see the hope of him and put their trust in him alone. So it's not about winning a battle or proving a point or sticking it to the man. It's about being faithful. It's about passing along the greatest news in the world and doing so in humility and in joy and with grace and in love and with compassion and with boldness to any and everyone, regardless of how it's received. The last big point, the point that I want to leave you with is, uh, what's the end of gospel boldness? So, again, let's say that you and I get to this place where we're, we're being filled with this ability to be bold and to share, um, which is, again, I, that, that's my prayer for this church, is that we would be a confident, joyously bold people, because uh, we do have good news. We have the one good news in the world that can change people's lives. But what is the end of it? What does ultimately, what does it all lead to? What did, the, what did the disciples do? What did Peter and John do at the end of this passage? It says that they were released in verse 23, and they went back to their friends, and they prayed. And they didn't just pray in general. It says in verse uh, twenty. Nine. It says, Now, Lord, we pray that you would look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Do you know what the end of boldness is? More boldness. Continue to be more bold. You're never, you're never bold enough. You will never have enough courage or bravery to be bold enough always in your own strength to share the hope of the gospel in this world. And so the hope of the gospel lies in the fact that you're never bold enough. Jesus is the brave, confident, bold one who loves to give us what we do not have ourselves. And in this case, it's boldness. Boldness never finishes because it's never over. And so when you've got over that initial hurdle to be bold and to share the hope of the gospel, the next, the next step for you is to say, Lord, do it again. Continue to fill me up with that boldness. Continue to fill me up with that joy so that I might take that everywhere I go. The key word there is continue. Continue. Lord, continue that. May this be a theme of my life, that I am a person of humble boldness in this world. And so it's interesting to note here what they don't pray for. Again, they're being threatened by the government, by the officials. And there is no prayer here for anything else other than boldness, really. There's no prayer for protection. There's no prayer for deliverance from their tough situation. There's no prayer for their enemies to be destroyed. There's a prayer for more boldness because they recognize that the gospel is what's central. 
And that's what defines their life. That's the purpose of their life. It's simply a prayer of faith for being a part in the story that God is writing. The God who is on the move in Acts, they are now part of it. And their prayer is, Lord, make us bold that we might follow boldly after you. Because Jesus is the bold one going blazing the trail before the church, going out into all the Mediterranean Empire, into the Roman Empire, all throughout the, the region, with boldness and bravery. And the church is called to boldly and bravely follow after him. So what happened to the man dancing at the concert? This man dancing all by himself, looking like a crazy man. How does the story finish? It starts for the first minute or two of the video, this man just dancing uncontrollably, all by himself. And then another man comes by and starts dancing with him, right next to him. And then another person comes in and starts dancing with him. And by a couple minutes later, there's hundreds of people dancing just like this man, just dancing with all their might to the music at the concert. One man's boldness, his fearless, unashamed dancing, leads to a whole community of people dancing, unashamed, looking ridiculous, but filled with joy. And may that be an image that we take with us as a church this morning. May we be those people who are dancing unashamed with great news to share with our world. As I open the service with today, the church can be bold with a statement like this. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, First Baptist Church of Salem, Massachusetts, opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus himself, the friend of sinners. May that be our bold declaration as a church. Let me close us in prayer. Father, we pray, as the early church prayed, that you would fill us with boldness to proclaim the good news of the gospel continually. May this be a, a, a belief that we have, not a burden. May it be a joy, not a weight. And may it be something that originates from Jesus and not from our own strength. Lord, give us joy in the task of being bold to share your good news. We ask this in faith and in confidence in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.